We're looking into 2 Timothy chapter 3 this afternoon. I've reflected over the past 50 years of public ministry that I've been engaged in, and a lot of memories are there. That message this morning, the passage, the learning to encourage myself in the Lord uh, through his word and through prayer and through a, a trust in him that must be engaged with in the most difficult and leanness of times. Um, I have passages that oft times I referred to. And in the midst of great difficulties, God gives us instruction in his word as to how we are to conduct ourselves. I really find that in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 14 and 15, but I'm going to read the whole chapter, beginning at verse 1. As Paul, the apostle, by the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, is moved to pen these words. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Biblically, the last days are far from what the dispensationalists teach. It's not simply the last few years in this particular period of time. It covers the period of time from the first to the second appearings of Christ in Scripture. He's made known to us, manifested to us, the Scripture says, in these last days. So that <clears throat> what is written here would apply to the apostle, to Timothy, to those to whom the epistle would be read in that day and to us. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. They were religious, but denying the power thereof. They did not have the ability to live Godward in a right way. From such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's a solemn thing. That there are many who are under the gospel of the Son of God, the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel that teaches that salvation is by grace only and has nothing to do with human works, and yet never seem to be able to comprehend that salvation is all of God, not of man. Now as Jannes and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, teaching, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, 
at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. There is an implication very strongly here that yes, all who walk with Christ in some way are going to find themselves under some form of persecution. But false teachers are going to be worse than that. There's going to be a greater danger from false teachers than from persecution. If you read these things together, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Then the responsibility given. These verses I have quoted probably thousands of times more than I can comprehend over the years of ministry. There's a lot of instruction here. Chapter 2 teaches the minister of Jesus Christ, the pastor, teaches him to be strong in the Lord and in his grace alone, teaches him to be ready to bear hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. All kinds of instruction. And then in the midst of apostasy, that's really what we're learning here from those evil men and seducers which grow worse and worse, teaching things that are destructive, that deny the truth of God and his grace and salvation. And yet the responsibility for the man of God and for all of us in verses 14 and 15, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means breathed out by God. That's his Holy Spirit. This is language that speaks of the Spirit of God, like in Psalm, what, 36? By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all, uh, and all things by the breath of his mouth. It speaks of God's Spirit, the inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished, unto all good works. And then, of course, again, in light of the apostasy, in light of the manifestation of the depravity of man and his rebellion against God, in light of false religionists who claim to believe God but live according to this world and have no ability to live godly in Christ Jesus, the apostle is charging Timothy and us in verses 14 and 15, but continue thou in the things which thou hast known, and uh, uh, that from a child 
thou continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. We're in a world that thus far is changing for the worse. It doesn't get better. Unless God in mercy brings an awakening, it is like the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw. You remember that? In the book of Daniel, when he saw the head of gold speaking of himself coming down to clay feet, the metals deteriorate, they get worse, they get worse until they come down to clay, as it were. That's the way it is with society. That's the way it is with men. Things get worse, not better. When we think they couldn't get any worse, what happens? It gets worse. That's the way of the fallen world. The world that changes for worse. Like those men in verse 13 here. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. They become convinced themselves. The most dangerous teacher is the one who is in error and is convinced that he's in truth. And that's what we have here. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. So that which ever or whoever moves away from the true and living God, they're going to grow worse, not better. But we're called to remain firm, immovable. Just like the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15. Thanks be unto God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Everyone who truly drinks into the water of life, everyone who truly receives and eats of the bread of life, those who have come, uh, come to taste the sweetness of Christ and his saving grace, those who have tasted and found that the Lord is gracious, they desire to drink more fully into him, to know him. The Apostle Paul, we would say, here's a man, no doubt, that knew Christ. Here's one who could say, I know whom I have believed. And yet here's one who also says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Sometimes the more we learn of the glories and the beauties and the magnificent character of our blessed Savior, the more we realize we don't know. The more we realize, I want to know more, more about him, more of him, more, and we have to sing a song like sometimes like that, more of his saving grace to know. And learn more and more of him. The riches in Christ are infinite. The Apostle Paul could speak of preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. We can't find their end. And that essentially is what's meant there. We can't find the end of those riches. And begin to look into his face by faith. 
learn of him. There is nothing in this world that compares to our Savior, our Lord, the wonders of his saving grace. Everyone who has come to this saving grace, this wondrous grace of God, finds the one true treasure, the one treasure that's worth selling everything for. The one treasure, as the Apostle Paul says, I've lost everything, you count it, but don't. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. But sometimes this takes place under the greatest of adversity, so that we are required to continue and to overcome, to overcome the ungodliness that always furiously wars against the truth, and keep to the means that God has given us to establish us and keep us stable, anchored in the midst of a world that gets worse and worse, in the midst of religion that flourishes, but evil men and seducers all at the same time flourish, in the midst of the storms that lash against us, against our faith in Christ, we're to be like that boulder that's so entrenched in the ground, so entrenched and big that the waves won't move it, that the lashing of the sea won't move it. And so, <clears throat> we're to become established in that which is true, to be so established and so firm as to be able to withstand that which is false. We don't become established and resist that which is false by studying what is false. But by knowing, being established, strengthened in that which is true. Yeah, we live in a fallen world. We read of, hear of, know their perversions now like we've never seen in our lifetime. And yet... Those who are in Christ will withstand those things by knowing the truth, by being established firmly in the word of God, established in Christ. And so we shall be able to withstand the ungodliness and that which is false and the temptations that come along our way. So it's not optional whether or not we become firm and established in the truth it's rather something that's absolutely essential the scripture recognizes as saved those who begin those not who not only begin but those who continue those who finish their course in Calvinistic theology it's called the perseverance of the saints we read about that in scripture as well of course often as in Hebrews chapter 3 we're we're to hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. There's to be an overcoming faith. If we have a genuine faith in Christ, a God-given faith, it's a supernatural work of God, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. The Lord Jesus says to some in John chapter 8, if ye are my disciples indeed, he says, ye shall continue in the truth. And the truth 
shall make you free. Set you free. So, <clears throat> we are to continue in the right course. To continue in a right course, you have to begin at the right place. Right? Sherry runs marathons. Sherry doesn't go to the end of that course and then begin there. She has to begin at a certain place. Can you go in the middle of it where aren't nobody else is located and find your way and then come down and run from there? No. You have to begin at the right place. The most essential thing about continuing a race is beginning it right and beginning in the right place and being then on the right course. Those only reach their purpose destination who enter and continue on the same road. The seaman, S-E-A-M-A-N, the seaman, the seaman, reaches the right shore who takes the time to learn navigation, to learn the right way. Then he has to continue that course all the way until the destination is found. Only those who are in the way, who have truly entered the right way, stay on the right course. The beginning is essential. Those alone follow Christ in truth, who have heard his word, who are fully convinced of its truth, and believe with a deep-seated conviction. This is truth. This is the word of God. They know him to be indeed the divine son of the living God. They know him to be the one who came from eternity into time. They know him to be the one who comes with the very same nature of the Father, but brings that into human flesh. They know the one who is eternal deity, bringing our humanity into union with that deity in a wondrous way, inscrutable to us. But he is God manifest in the flesh. We come to know the Son of God incarnate. In Apostle John in 1 John 5.20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we're in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Those who come in the right way, they don't look to themselves, they don't look to their works. They don't come to hear a gospel that tells them, we're here to lift you up. The gospel first brings one down to the dust. Causes them to recognize they're in the hand of God. And that only He can save. And they come to reject all thought of human merit. They don't think because they say a right prayer or because they make a right action that that secures their salvation. The saved come to know my salvation is Jesus Christ crucified. Only Him. What He has done. They come to bring nothing in their hands as Top Lady would sing but to trust only Christ by grace even to realize that was God's mercy to enable them to do so. They rest 
in his finished work of redemption alone, by faith. And his cross is the only place of cleansing from all sin and reconciliation to God. Forgiveness is not the end result of redemption. Reconciliation to God is. And his righteousness becomes imputed to them by faith. They have a righteousness they didn't work for. They have a righteousness they could not produce, but a righteousness given to them. The very righteousness of Christ put into their account. Clothed with the robe of righteousness is the language used in the book of Isaiah. The righteousness of God, it's called in Scripture. That's given to one who's brought to trust in Christ, to look only to him, nowhere else, to no one else, but only to him. And to realize God hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You begin first. Anyone who adds works to salvation, they haven't heard the gospel. They haven't begun right. It's a deceptive thing. Salvation is of God and Him alone. They come to submit by faith to Him in confession that He is Lord indeed, that all of salvation is in His sovereign hands. They were before dead in sin, but He died for them and rose again from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Majesty on high, possesses all authority in uh, heaven and in earth. I was telling John, remembering Roger Lackey when he came to where we were in North Carolina, about 600 people, children and adults, in the church there. And when he came, I can remember something of the first message he preached. This was a long time ago. This must have been like 52 years ago at least, or 53 years ago. And I can remember when he came. I can remember, I've never heard this before. Because it's always what we do, what the church does, how the church, and how the programs, and how all of this, and how the music's conducted, and all, and never heard this before. The first message I heard preached by my dear friend, now with the Lord, Roger Lackey, uh, the first message I heard him preach was an enthroned, exalted, and reigning Lord. He preached Christ. He preached a sovereign Christ. He preached a glorious salvation that was all of God. Guess how many were there in about a year after that? About 150, I think it was, from 600 in one year. By simply proclaiming the truth of God's Word. I was telling John also the first church that I pastored, about 18 months, I think I was there, that after two weeks, I came to a conclusion. This is not a church, not in the biblical sense. Oh, yeah, it had the name Baptist attached to it, but it's not a church in the biblical sense. It's a mission field. These people don't know the Lord. They've never heard the gospel of the Son of God. 
we had in effect the same thing purging that took place only because the supreme word of God was proclaimed and became central they who begin right alone will withstand the temptations to depart when the winds and the storms of trial begin to come and even become stronger, not only from without, but within. The one who is in Christ, when we first are brought to know him, we're brought to conviction of sin. But oftentimes it's later on we become to realize in a higher sense the awful reality of what sin is and what God has redeemed us from in bringing us to himself. How enormous it is. How big a thing it is that men brush off many times. And like the tree, then we must come to be nurtured, watered by the word, by the ministry of the word, by what God has ordained and become deeply rooted in the soil of the gospel, watered by the word of God. That on the good ground of they which in an honest and good heart that only God can give. He gives a new heart. He didn't make our old heart different. He doesn't change it. He gives a new heart. That on the good ground of they which in an honest and good heart having heard the word keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. To be fully convinced of the truth. To hold it firm as the greatest treasure that we have is to evidence that it's truly been learned. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Fully convinced, totally convinced of the truth of God's grace, of the reality of the absolute word of God that he has given. Over against those in the context who were given up to change, and whose doctrines were as fickle and fanciful as their own corrupt minds. Timothy is to be so firmly in the truths of the gospel as to become immovable like a rock. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. There come many temptations, many temptations. Uh, to do otherwise. Many temptations to add to the truth of God. Many temptations because people get tired of the gospel. Is that so? Well, there's a type. You remember the manna in the Old Testament? The manna that God gave to the children of Israel when they came out of Egyptian bondage? The manna in the Old Testament? What did it represent? Christ. Matter of fact, in the Sermon on the Bread of Life, the Lord Jesus Christ likens himself to the manna. You know what the people said? They got tired of that. They wanted something else. They wanted to add to that. They wanted different things. We don't want just that. Oh, we can have that. But it's got to have something else too. You know what they said in derision? There's nothing but this manna before our eyes. Well, you know what? I, that's all I have. So anybody wants to come and wants to be firm, that's what we've got. That's it. Manna. 
the manna that God gives. The truth of Christ. His word. The teaching of it. The proclaiming of it. The expounding of it. The preaching of it. The manna is here. And Christ is the manna. That we have and proclaim. And are satisfied with. And finally we can't. We can't find the end of it. We learn something of the Lord and then whoo, go off in another area. Wow. Infinite in his character, his glory. Like the manna. You could make it any way you want it. You could bake it. You could mix it up as flour. You get all kinds of stuff. You remember reading about that? But it was a manna. The same manna. Timothy was to come to the full assurance of faith. There's a think there's something wrong if you know that you're really saved and you're trusting in the Lord to, to keep you and sustain you. No, I think it's something wrong if you don't. Better look around and find out because God doesn't lie. His word is true. We're to rest upon it. Believe it. I know when we see sin showed up in ourselves we might get disturbed sometimes and that's a good thing. But we're to have the full assurance of faith. Not trusting an emotional experience or something that we do, but only in the one who's done all for us and redeemed us to God with his own blood. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the offices of Christ, the work of Christ. These are things that Timothy learned that we're to learn with all diligence and rest in with full assurance. And to be able to say with Paul, I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The grace of God alone. Thy grace alone, O God, to me can pardon speak. Thy power alone, O Son of God, can this sore bondage break. No other work save thine. No other blood will do. No strength save that which is divine can bear me safely through. I'm seeing that after the, <laughs> after the message. The strength of true knowledge that withstands error has solid anchors to keep it through the storms. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them and that from a child. Thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You know what Timothy had as a child? Solid example from godly character. From a child, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. There, from his earliest childhood, there was his mother and his grandmother. His mother and his grandmother. Knowing the Word of God, teaching him the Scriptures giving him the supreme basis of true knowledge, securing for him a true higher education. You can't get any higher than learning the word of God. 
You can't get any higher than learning the truth of God. And you can't get any more foolish than to deny it, no matter how much technical knowledge is otherwise known. They were, his mother and grandmother, evidently among those Jews who were looking for the Messiah. They were saved by God's grace. They were ready to hear and believe the gospel when it was brought to them. But they were more than teachers. They were examples to them, uh, to him. They were examples to young Timothy. Then later came the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, through whom Timothy heard and believed the gospel of the Son of God, and whose example impacted greatly this young convert, as in verses 10 and 11, Thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. He knew the life of Paul. What an example from the one through whom he heard and believed the saving gospel of the Son of God. What blessing when there is parental and pastoral example combined together. There are those who think, well, we'll just send them to Sunday school. That's a good thing. I'm glad my grandmother, even when she got so afflicted with Parkinson's disease, she couldn't go and take me to church. She sent me. I'm glad. But she was also an example. And when parents not only say, Sunday school, church, we're going to sit down and teach the Word of God. We're going to lead them in the right ways. We're going to teach them in life's lessons day by day by day. That's a blessing. Tremendous blessing. Combined with pastoral ministry and preaching. What a blessing. What an influence in young lives. Hoping for those young people that one day they'll be able to say, like Ruth to Naomi, Thy God shall be my God. And thy people, my people. is the anchor of this solid example from godly character. And there's the ankle of the mind, which is the solidity, the solidness of the divine revelation. From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. God speaks to us through his word. He doesn't come audibly. He doesn't now speak in visions and dreams. These things are past. In sundry times he spake in diverse manners unto the fathers of old. But now he has in finality he has spoken to us by his son. And this is settled in the word of God. God speaks through his word. Through the, through the holy scriptures. So that the knowing of whom thou hast learned doesn't stop it. Parents or preacher or testifier but must be learned from God. 
God by his spirit must teach. I'm fully aware. Sometimes to the greatest of disheartenment over the years. When I witness things. This is completely out of the realm of God's truth. And there's not the hearing. The doing. And the heart's taken away with the wrong things. You wonder, have they ever heard the living God and his truth and his Christ by his spirit? I'm well aware that there must be a far greater voice than mine heard in the soul. And that through the word of God are all in vain. The Lord Jesus says in John chapter 6, verses 44 and 45, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets. They shall all be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. That is, they come to him. They keep coming to him. They keep trusting him. They keep looking to him. If they are taught of God. God is the effectual teacher. He teaches the heart, not only the mind. He places his truth in the inward parts and brings the only way the scriptures are truly and rightly learned. All knowledge, no matter how important for life in the world, is but foolish and designed to perish if there's not the knowledge of God in the soul. Not the knowledge of his truth in the heart. And the wisdom that comes in true salvation comes from God. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. When God begins his work, there comes a fear. There comes a fear of him. There comes a fear of judgment. There comes a reality of sin. Then when that is relieved... There comes another kind of fear, a fear that comes from love, a fear of offending the one who saves and gives grace and has made his glorious love known. The fear of God is very important. There's the anchor of the soul, which is faith in Christ only. From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. This is faith in the Christ who is made known in the scriptures. There are other Jesuses, but only one supreme Lord, Jesus Christ. One made known in the word of God one who is the way the truth and the life one alone who brings to the father one who alone is truth personified this faith in Christ doesn't come through man's speculation doesn't come in plays or movies that's the way of the world the religious, they'll sit and watch something, get in their picture, a mind of some man. And that to them is Jesus. That to them represents the Christ. It's a very dangerous thing. 
spiritually. We learn of him where? We learn of him right here. Only. Only. Nowhere else. Any other representation is idolatry and condemned. And yet it is fanciful to men. Oh, they love it. But it's not the Christ of Scripture. The Lord Jesus has searched the Scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they that do what? They are they which testify of me. How important. The Scriptures are able, the Scriptures through God, to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The Scriptures, God, his own word, he has to send it forth. And when it's sent forth by him, it doesn't return to him void. It accomplishes what he pleases by it. Any other Jesus is another Jesus. A false Christ. Any other gospel, other than the one gospel of the grace of God alone, is another gospel. You remember Paul anathematized that in Galatians chapter 1. And what is this faith? It is to trust. It is to believe so firmly as to come to the Lord Jesus Christ alone. It is to give up all thought of any self-effort and gladly surrender yourself into the sovereign hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And blessed he who can say in faith and truth, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. It's to recognize him as Lord indeed, sovereign over all. Oft times when the word Lord is used in regard to Christ in the, Lord, in, in the New Testament, when it's referring to an Old Testament passage, the word in the Old Testament, Jehovah. He is God incarnate. No one can represent him. That's why we don't have a physical image. We're not to look at a physical image. We're not considering a physical image, though he came in the flesh. We can't comprehend God manifest in the flesh in any way naturally. It comes spiritually. We come to turn from all that opposes him to belong to him and him alone. We come to the end of ourselves. And we come to trust him only. We come to have every prop knocked out from us we can trust in other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. We come to him as the lamb for sinners slain. And when we come by God's grace to him, he doesn't chide us for our sins. He takes them away by the blood of his cross. He will not say, keep back from me. He'll enfold you in his arms so that you can come to say with Charlotte Elliot, now to be thine, yea, thine alone. O Lamb of God, 
I come. Where's that song we wanted to sing? 403? 403. Oh, yeah, we haven't sung that in a while, haven't we? That's a good one. 